Podcast, May 28th. Where was Wednesday's edition? Well, I was getting ready to do Wednesday's edition, and then a friend who I very rarely see surprisingly showed up on my doorstep all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. He was in Dayton on business, and he decided to stop in on his way home. I was in my red chair reading my Bible with my phone off. He texted me, told me, can I stop? I didn't see his text. Thankfully, he showed up and we had a great chat. It's nice to reconnect with him. And so at that point, after we got done reconnecting, there was no time for me to do a podcast before I headed off to work at 9890 Answer. So I apologize for the lack of a Wednesday podcast, but it is a slow time of year. And I'm glad to be back with you today, back with you today, so we can talk about some things going on with. What is going to revolutionize college athletics, I'm just not sure it's going to revolutionize it for the good. There are revolutions that are good, American Revolution. There are revolutions that are bad. Cuba, uh, China, uh, Russia, okay? So what's this revolution in college athletics going to be, good or bad? I think it's fair, defensible on the law, but good for college athletics, Mm, not so sure. Could be lots of contentious stuff, and it's certainly going to complicate coaches' jobs from a leadership perspective. And it seems to me college coaching is getting more and more complex every day from a recruiting perspective and now uh, from name, image, and licensing and from the transfer portal. So we will get into all of that. Before we do, hey, are you a small business person? I don't mean... Like, are you three foot six? I mean, do you own a small business? Do you operate a small business? Uh, if you're both, if you're short and you operate a small business, well, then you're a double small business person. No, I'm just kidding around. I have an asset for you to use, and it doesn't cost you anything. It is the only example I can think of. Well, one of two examples. The We Tackle Life podcast would be another, where you get more than you pay for. AUIinfo.com is what I'm talking about. Imagine getting with someone who knows the ins, the outs, the nuances, the peccadilloes of the insurance trade like the back of their hand, and they don't charge you to share that information with you. That is AUIinfo.com. Chrissy, Steve, Julie, the AUI team, they are health insurance brokers, so they know all the plans, all the benefits, all the copays, all the hospitals, all the this, all the that, vision, dental, disability, health, life. They've got it. You are trying to attract the best employees you can and keep the best employees you can, and businesses are a great way to do that, or uh, benefits are the best way to do that. And so it's time for you, if you haven't checked your benefits package and the cost you're paying for it in two years, check it. AUIinfo.com will probably save you money. You won't pay them, the insurance companies that they put in front of you and you select those companies pay you. So auiinfo.com, your business, I only have two people in my business. I'm too small. No, you're not. I have 50 people in my business. I'm too big. I'm too small. Whatever. No, you're not. They specialize in small business. Two employees to 50 employees. Bang, zoom, to the moon with auiinfo.com. All right. What shall we get to first? Let's get to Ohio State first, all right? There's a lot of stuff here with Ohio State. Gene Smith did an extensive interview. I think it was with 11 Warriors. I'm not sure whose podcast that is, but 11 Warriors does a great job on Ohio State, very comprehensive in their coverage of Ohio State. And Gene Smith did a long interview with somebody, um, and 11 Warriors chronicled it. And so vaccines 
Is Ohio State going to require its athletes to get the vaccine? Answer from Gene Smith, no. Surprises me, but it'll make it unpleasant for them if they don't get the vaccine because they will go back to testing them for COVID six days a week, which I don't think that's a very fun situation to be in. So I would uh, expect most Ohio State football players to get the vaccine, most Ohio State athletes to get the vaccine. University environments are very uh, enlightened. No, they're not enlightened. What are they? They're very, um, they're very something. <laughs> um, I'm trying to change uh, my use of the word woke on my radio show to dark because I don't, I don't acknowledge that people who are woke are awakened. Awakening implies that they're enlightened. And I don't necessarily think woke people are enlightened. I think they're zealous. So university environments are very zealous environments, okay? So uh, I would expect most players to get it. Maybe there's a conservative. Maybe there's a skeptical person. Maybe there's somebody with a medical condition. I don't know. But that's where we are with um, Ohio State. They will not require. So I guess if they're not going to require athletes to get it, they're not going to require students to get it, which I expected them to require students to get it. I think Rutgers is requiring students to get it. Maryland is requiring students to get it. So mm, that's um, where we are with that. I'm shocked that Christina Johnson and uh, her stewardship of Ohio State does not require students to get the vaccine. So that, I thought, was a very interesting thing. Gene Smith also said nice things about Chris Holtman, that he's done a phenomenal job. He has done a phenomenal job. It's the bane of an Ohio State coach that if you don't win a national championship or get to the Final Four or achieve some landmark accomplishment in your sport, you are defined by your failures more than your successes. Chris Holtman has had a great deal of success at Ohio State. And in the other facet of being an Ohio State coach is you become a victim of your own accomplishments. Thad Mata became a victim of his accomplishments. Chris Holtman's a victim of his accomplishments. His first two years, his teams had no business making the NCAA tournament. They not only made it, they won a game. So now, well, come on, let's go win a game. Don't lose to Oral Roberts when you're a two seed. So this is what happens. You achieve and people don't look at the achievement and say, wow, he did a great job achieving. No, they look at it and go, hey, why aren't we achieving as much this year as we did a couple years ago? We have a better team. We have a higher seed. And the same will be true of Ryan Day. If he would happen to lose a Big Ten championship game and not get to the college football playoff or lose a Michigan game, they wouldn't say, wow, he's absolutely hammered Michigan and in uh, the one time that he played them, and we've dominated Michigan over the last, what, 20 years? No, it would be, holy cow, the thing's coming apart at the seams. Michigan beat us. So that's just how it is with an Ohio State coach. And so Gene says Holtman's doing a great job. I, I think we found the one thing Gene Smith and I agree on, that Chris Holtman has done a great job. Yes, he has. Does he need to do more? Yeah, probably, because people will soon lose patience with Chris Holtman if he doesn't get the team to the Sweet 16. And let me say this. And I'm sure this is true of Greg Beals, the baseball coach, Ryan Day, Ty Tucker, everybody that coaches at Ohio State. By definition, if you've reached that level of achievement in your profession, you're a highly competitive person. But I've observed a lot of coaches over a lot of years, and a lot of them are very self-confident, very assured. And I don't mean to imply that Chris Holtman is not. 
What I notice about Chris Holtman is that his perceived, and that's the key word here, his perceived failures really bother him. I would argue they bother him too much. I would argue that time to get past Oral Roberts. It happened. It's over. Blah, blah, blah. There's no guarantee it won't happen again. So he's definitely, and I get it. He's bothered by it. Uh, Spiel's uh, brother Rick, I'm sure, is still bothered by Brett Favre's interception that kept the Vikings out of the Super Bowl years ago. I'm still bothered by losing the county championship Pony League game when I was 15 years old. And we got suspiciously hosed by a on-the-fly rule change that allowed uh, the other team to reinsert their pitcher in a game. So, you know, it's losses bug you if you're competitive. I'm ultra-competitive. Maybe you are too. Holtman is. It bothers him. Okay. Uh, a reminder, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com is our official uh, coffee longest-running sponsor and great people. Bourbon Barrel-Aged Coffee. We're hitting a ton of graduation parties this weekend. And if you are and you go, what do I get a graduate? I got no idea what to get a graduate. Get them a gift certificate to Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Kids love coffee. Introduce them to a new coffee brand will become their go-to brand when they go to college. You tell them, hey, you order this coffee, you love this coffee, you take this coffee to college, you're going to make friends. They're going to go, wow, where did they get that coffee? It's going to make them the cool kid when they go off to college. So, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. WETACKLELIFE in all caps because, hey, that saves you 15%. That's how you do it, my friend. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Now, as for another aspect of Ohio State, there was a press conference this week where Gene Smith appeared with a member of the Ohio General Assembly, and this guy is bucking for a skybox on the 50-yard line because he's doing Ohio State a solid introducing and expediting name, image, and likeness legislation in the Ohio General Assembly all those guys used to go on bowl trips with Ohio State free. Yes, I know. You're like, huh? Is that political graft? Eh, probably. I don't know if they still do, but a lot of them used to go free. And so it's not surprising that Ohio State would find they have lobbyists. They have people down at the state house pushing their agenda. It's not surprising they'd find a guy who's willing to introduce name, image, and likeness legislation in the state of Ohio and expedite it and get it done by July 1st because, heaven forbid, Ohio State would, you know, be uh, imprisoned to nebulous or non-existent name, image, and likeness legislation when Alabama has it and Texas has it, and that's a competitive disadvantage if those guys can get paid and Ohio State can't because you can't wait on the NCAA. They move at a glacial pace. And they don't want name, image, and likeness legislation. They say they do. They're lying. They don't want it. They're dragging their feet. They're like, you know, pulling a kid by his ear to go to piano lessons. They don't want it. That's like a good editorial cartoon for somebody to make. Like college athletes, a big, strong, strapping guy in a football uniform dragging spindly little Mark Emmert along by the ear to name, image, and likeness legislation. Because he'll do it against his will. Why? Because it makes more work for the NCAA. They have to come up with actual, innovative, insightful policy. Not their strength, 
They don't like to do that. They like their membership to make the rules, and then they say, we don't make the rules, we just enforce the rules. Yes, Mark Emmert might actually have to earn his salary. So Ohio State wants this done at the state level so that if nothing gets done at the federal level, again, where they move at a glacial pace, they won't be in a situation where they're at a disadvantage to schools they recruit against. But here's the storm on the horizon, ladies and gentlemen. The activists in favor of name, image, and likeness legislation nationally do not like the name, image, and likeness legislation introduced by this Ohio politician. Why do they not like it? Because his name, image, and likeness legislation precludes an Ohio State player from accepting a name, image, and likeness contract from someone who is a competitor of an existing contract that Ohio State has with another business. What do you mean, Bruce? I'll put it in the simplest terms possible. Ohio State is the University of Nike, right? Nike pays millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to wear Nike gear across the board. What if C.J. Stroud gets approached by Adidas or Under Armour and they say to C.J. Stroud, hey, dude, you're going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State. How about we give you a hundred grand to wear Adidas cleats, Adidas wristbands, an Adidas whatever? And C.J. Stroud goes, I like Adidas. Adidas sounds good to me. I'm not getting beans from Nike. Now you got a fight on your hands. This is the fight Mr. Spielman fought for athletes at Ohio State. I'm going to shout out my guy who got vilified when he filed a lawsuit against Ohio State for using what? His name, image, and likeness without his permission. That was when they had banners in the south end of Ohio Stadium with Spiel's likeness from his Ohio State days and Honda written underneath his name. Chris wasn't getting a dollar from Honda. Ohio State was getting a lot of dollars from Honda. But Chris had a deal with Mark the Lawman Lob at, uh, at, at, with Mazda. Why can't I think? Mazda, Dublin, Myers, Dub, Byers. No, not Byers. Yeah, Byers. Byers, Dublin, Mazda, Subaru. And so Spiels had a long-lasting relationship with Mark Lobb. And there's Spiels with his picture, Honda. Well, that damages Mark Lobb's relationship with Spiels. That damages Spiels' credibility as a Mazda spokesman. There's a case where the university had a deal with Honda, and Chris had a deal with Mazda and Mark Lobb. And it's not too hard to envision an Ohio State player, let's say E.J. Liddell, decides, you know, I got a wide foot, and Nikes don't really fit my foot, but New Balance does, or I want to wear the Steph Curry model, or I want to wear Under Armour. Ah, now we have an issue, don't we? I don't see how Ohio State has a leg to stand on legally to impose its own university contract on one of its players. I just don't see how their Ohio State or any college is going to win that fight. Will they litigate it? Mm, maybe. 
Doesn't look good if you're suing a guy who's playing for you, particularly in an era where, look at that, there's an automatic one-year waiver immediate eligibility on transfers. What do you think the chances are if a star player says, I want to wear Under Armour, and Ohio State goes, nope, sorry, got to wear Nike, and the player goes, well, I don't really feel like fighting this legal fight. I'll just go somewhere else where they'll let me wear what I want to wear because I'm immediately eligible there. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. I don't think anybody first in intention to deceive on this. I think the schools are actually well-intentioned against their will. Yeah, name, image, and likeness is coming. We screwed those kids over for years and years and years and years on the EA Sports games where everybody knew that was... Dwayne Haskins out there. Well, not Dwayne Haskins wasn't part of that. Everybody knew that was Terrell Pryor out there in an Ohio State uniform quarterbacking the Buckeyes on EA Sports with the number one jersey. But we didn't put his name on the back, so okay, let's take the cut of the money, and we don't have to give Terrell Pryor any. Well, Ed O'Bannon got tired of that at UCLA. He's like, hey, that skinny left-handed guy playing for UCLA wearing number 34, that's me. I want that money. And Ed O'Bannon sued, and Ed O'Bannon won. And so that led to what? The end of EA Sports college football and college basketball games because they didn't want to pay. They'd rather not get any money than have to share it with the players. More accurately probably was they couldn't figure out how to share it with the players. Back to my original statement that, hey, Mark Emmert, you might have to come up with insightful, intelligent legislation on a complex issue rather than just sitting there with your feet up on your desk in Indianapolis taking home bags and bags and bags of cash. So this is going to get messy. There's going to be someone. I gave you the Ohio State uh, scenarios, but this could happen at any school, and it's going to happen at some school. What do you think the bidding would have been for Zion Williamson coming out of high school, going to play college basketball. And I don't really think the manufacturers want Zion Williamson going and playing for a school of his preferred equipment vendor choice. Like, let's say Zion Williamson wanted to wear Adidas and Duke was Nike. I think rather than sending Zion Williamson to Louisville where he could wear Adidas... I think Adidas would rather he be the outlier at a school where they're wearing Nikes. I think that's what they would prefer. It's certainly what I would prefer if I were Adidas. So this could get very interesting with name, image, and likeness, which brings me back to my point all along. Name, image, and likeness, I will admit, is the right thing to do. But the right thing to do is not always the easy thing to do. In fact, and we'll get into this in the faith portion of the podcast, the right thing to do is often the hardest thing to do. It's messy. It requires you to take a stand. It requires you to yield. It requires you sometimes to compromise, sometimes not to compromise. Sometimes you got to stand for what you believe and not compromise. And this is going to be very interesting, as those of you who are old will remember the great 
Artie Johnson said on Laugh-In. Yes, I am old. I remember Laugh-In. Okay. Now, while you're sitting there wringing your hands over the complexities of name, image, and likeness, and, oh, man, this could cost us a really good player, let me bring you some good news that concerns bad news for the University of Michigan. That'll cheer you up, won't it? Yes. But first, a reminder. Who could sort out the complexities of name, image, and likeness? I don't know. Maybe a very learned and accomplished attorney like the team at Willis Spangler Starling. Ooh, how about that transition? Yes, Stan, Kelly, Phil, Ashley, the partners at Willis Spangler Starling, the associates, they do a great job. Don't think their specialty is name, image, and likeness, but that's not a black mark because nobody's specialty is name, image, and likeness at this point in time. But they're certainly up to speed on workers' comp, employment law, social security disability, personal injury, probate, wills estate planning, all the big ones Willis Spangler Starling is on top of. And you want an attorney that's not, you know, advertising, shall we say, on the back of the yellow pages or promising you the moon uh, and the stars and, you know, the fairy dust. You want somebody who's going to shoot straight with you and represent you with the integrity and character that you want to reflect. So you want Willis Spangler Starling. They're online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. All right, uh, before we get to the bad news for Michigan, this is a weird story to me. Uh, Oklahoma and Nebraska are playing college football against each other this year, which is great because they were big eight rivals and they were big 12 rivals. And in the, I don't know, the era I grew up in, the era I grew up into a full-grown adult in, up until 2010, Oklahoma and Nebraska had the same cachet in that part of the country that Ohio State-Michigan had, that Florida State-Florida had, that USC-UCLA had. It was one of the great college football rivalries, and it gave us one of the all-time great college football games, the game of the century, they called it in 1971, when Johnny Rogers clinched the Heisman with an electric punt return for a touchdown in a, I think, 35-31 Nebraska victory. And Nebraska went on to win the national championship. So this is the 50th anniversary year of Oklahoma-Nebraska. And I think it would have been the 50th game between the two. So they scheduled it. Good for them. Great for them. But I don't understand why Oklahoma is mad that the game is going to kick off at noon on Fox Big Noon Kickoff, which means 11 o'clock in Oklahoma. And Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma athletic director, is, you know, spitting mad about this because, oh, you know, we wanted to kick it off at a good time. And blah, blah, blah. Well, what did you expect when you hired a TV partner? You gave away the kingdom when you hired a TV partner. They get to tell you, Joe Castiglione, which you're a great athletic director, you know this. Why would Fox not put that game on big noon kickoff? They can parlay all the pageantry and history around that game into a phenomenal pregame and tout that game for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, this is this is complaining about something that is just to me uh you know, self-evident. And here's the other part. Am I wrong? Hasn't the Oklahoma Texas game been played at noon? several times before, back when it aired on ESPN, which is an 11 o'clock central time kickoff 
which is what Joe Castiglione is complaining about now, but I don't recall him complaining about then. So I don't understand the beef, Joe. You got a, you did a great thing. Don't cheapen it by complaining about something that Fox is doing what Fox is entitled to do. Speaking of kickoff times, uh, you know Ohio State will kick off against Minnesota at 8 p.m. on September 2nd. You know that on September 11th they will play um, Oregon at noon. Two other kickoff times, Tulsa will kick off at 3.30 and Maryland at noon. Okay, now to the bad news for Michigan. Hunter Dickinson, their outstanding freshman center who gets away with murder uh, in the post, three seconds and fouls and everything else. Mm, My humble opinion. Slightly prejudiced. Hunter Dickinson has entered the NBA draft uh, run-up. Doesn't mean he's going to enter the draft, but... But Hunter Dickinson is going to be told that Hunter Dickinson will get taken in the first or second round. I'm not sure E.J. Liddell or Dwayne Washington are going to be told that. E.J. Liddell and Dwayne Washington would be making a mistake if they went into the NBA draft. And I don't say that because they're Ohio State Buckeyes. If they had Hunter Dickinson's height and potential, I would say, yeah, probably should go. Go now. Don't know what's going to happen to you in the future. Hunter Dickinson, in my opinion, should go. Now, I've seen some draft things that before he was in it, they didn't have him in the first two rounds. I can't imagine that Hunter Dickinson would go into the draft and not get taken in the first two rounds on potential alone. So, if he stays in, ouch, that hurts Michigan. Now, they got a great recruiting class coming in, but Hunter Dickinson will be the fourth starter to leave Juwan Howard. Um, Isaiah Livers, Mike Smith, Franz Wagner, and now... Hunter Dickinson, Chaun D. Brown, the Wake Forest transfer, who was phenomenal for them, also left. They are getting Eli Brooks back. He's taking advantage of the extra year of eligibility. So if Hunter Dickinson leaves, they'll have only one starter coming back, and they'll start a heavily freshman-laden lineup. And I would imagine uh, Juwan Howard will go out and get somebody really good in the transfer portal because he got Chaun D. Brown and Mike Smith, and they were pretty good. But that's uh, delicious for me to consider. The transfer portal is, to me, the um, it's a bad thing. It's just a bad thing. It is. I'm, I know, it goes right back to name, image, and likeness. Is it the right thing? Yeah. Is it a good thing? No, it's not. Free agency ruined Major League Baseball, from my perspective. I know it's free market. I'm a free market capitalist. I get it. No baseball player that I know of has gotten paid by holding a gun in their hand and demanding somebody give them a ridiculous contract. But when I was a kid, I could follow Major League Baseball because I knew who the players were and what teams they were on. Now it's impossible to follow that. Ever since free agency, it's made it impossible to follow that. And college basketball first, but soon football, because of the immediate eligibility waiver, is going to be like that. You're going to see starters who are really good at places like Northwestern, Purdue, Indiana. Clemson's going to have a cornerback shortage. Ohio State's going to have a cornerback shortage. They're going to go out and they're going to find a really good cornerback, an all-conference cornerback at Utah, at Oregon State, at Missouri, someplace like that, and they're going to say, hey, come to Ohio State and play your senior year. Help us win a national title. Get picked in the first round. That's going to really hurt 
the lower level schools ranked 20 and beyond. But Ohio State is also going to be hurt by the guys who are on the cusp of starting, but not quite starting. And now they're going to get the wanderlust and they're going to look around and go, well, I could go start it this place. I could go start at that place. Uh, Brandon White. Brandon White couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. He went to Rutgers, played all the time. That's going to hurt Ohio State with the backups. And, you know, it's it takes the depth away from the great team. It takes the stars away from the okay teams. I don't think the result is going to be good, but it is what it is, <laughs> which is one of the um, colloquial sayings that you know, is a little bit overstated, but in this case, yeah. I think it's going to affect scheduling, too, particularly in college basketball. Bruce Pearl at Auburn has said, I'm having trouble scheduling mid-major opponents because mid-major opponents don't want to come and play my team at Auburn because they think I'm scouting their guys as potential transfers the following year. And you know what? Smart mid-major coaches because Bruce Pearl is that kind of guy. He would schedule you. Hey, they got a guy who averaged 20 last year at Dartmouth. Let's play Dartmouth and see if that kid can fit in. I can watch him play for 40 minutes against my guys. I can get a better take on whether he fits in or not. So I think some of your mid-majors now who have a star player might be a little hesitant to go play a team like Ohio State, a team like Auburn, a team like Purdue, a team like Indiana, there are going to be teams that get a reputation as poaching the transfer portal. And there is absolutely no way that you can police that. There is absolutely no way you can keep teams from reaching out to people through back channels. It's as easy as this. They'll make a rule and say, oh, you can't contact the kid directly. Okay, great. So at the end of the year, let's just say Mike Woodson at Indiana because I'm inherently suspicious of all things candy pants related. Mike Woodson says, boy, hmm, that guy at Southwest Missouri, he really looks like he could fit in our program. They got a nice team. Tell you what, he had a good freshman year. He averaged 12, 14. We recruited him. He went to Southwest Missouri. We had him on our radar. He went to Southwest Missouri. He's a little bit better than I thought he would be. How about we schedule Southwest Missouri next year? So then he schedules Southwest Missouri next year, and the kid as a sophomore comes in, and he scores 20 on Indiana, and he watches him play. Woodson watches him play, and he's like, yeah, we want that kid. So at the end of the kid's sophomore year, Woodson calls the kid's high school coach for whatever reason, and he says, hey, uh, you know, we're recruiting. A, we Tell me about the guy you have on your team now. Or tell me about this other kid in the league. Or tell me about this other kid that we're recruiting. Have you seen him play on the AAU circuit? He just calls a guy out of the blue. And then he goes, hey, by the way, you know, I see that, that kid that you know you had two years ago. Wow, he's crushing it at Southwest Missouri. He's a really nice player. Yep, we made a mistake on him. We made a big mistake on him. He'd, uh, boy, if we had him now, woo, he'd be starting for us. Okay, have a good day. See you later. You think that high school coach is not going to call his guy? Now, did Mike Woodson recruit the kid? Technically, no. Realistically, yeah, he did. That's how it's going to happen. Malachi Branham, the Caliparis, the Bayheims, the people like that, 
If Malachi Branham comes into Ohio State next year and he doesn't start and he doesn't score a lot of points and he isn't, you know, living up to what people, the outrageous expectations people have for Malachi Branham, somebody's going to try to poach that guy. They're going to be on the phone to Drew Joyce at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary and they're going to be talking up Malachi Branham. And, you know, if he had come here, ooh, boy, because that's how the world works. So recruiting never ends in college basketball, and it's going to have an impact in college football. And as I've said, and I could be proven wrong, because I've been wrong before when I said Trent Richardson would be a Hall of Fame running back. <laughs> um, I don't think this is going to be good for college athletics. It's the right thing. No doubt about that. I won't dispute it. I don't think fans are going to like it. You know what? How many times have you had something that in the case or on the menu looked really, really good? You ordered it, you got it, you ate it, you're like, eh, I wouldn't get that again. Once this genie's out of the bottle, you're not going to put the name, image, and likeness genie back in the bottle. You're not going to put the immediate eligibility waiver back in the bottle. You're not going to put the transfer portal back in the bottle. But the transfer portal in 2017 had 680 players in it. In 2018, it had 700 players in it. In 2019, it had 700 players in it. You say, okay, well... It's holding steady, Bruce. Yeah, this year it had 1,600 players in it. 1,600. Ouch. Good luck to you if you're a college basketball coach dealing with all the changes in your program. And eventually that'll hit. That'll hit college football too. It just will. All right. I believe that I have touched on all the sports topics that I wanted to touch on. And you know what that means. That means it is time for the faith portion of the podcast, my favorite portion of the podcast, and I hope your favorite portion of the podcast. Certainly it is the most consequential portion of the podcast because while sports is fun, uh, faith is consequential. And as many of you know, I do a radio show on 98.9 The Answer from 5 to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday. You can find it on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn, the Radio.com app. You can download our own app, 98.9 FM The Answer is what you search in the iTunes and Google Play Store. You can listen to it online. I'm sure you can listen to it on Alexa, whatever. That show is a compilation of news, culture, analysis, through a faith prism. Everything I do is through a faith prism um, because uh, faith is the most important part of my life in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my daughters, in my relationship with you, my listeners. I have tried, uh, particularly when Chris was on the podcast, to, in the faith portion of the podcast, steer clear of current events, culture. I never, ever would have wanted anything that we talked about on the podcast to put Chris in the crosshairs of cancel culture. So we talked faith, but we didn't um, explicitly apply it to some of the hot-button issues in our world, somewhat to protect Chris, somewhat really more so, I would say, because um, I wasn't as aware of the end game of some of these things from a cultural perspective and how they are, there's no easy way to say this, they are um, 
virulently, 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 <laughs> vehemently opposed to the things of God. They just are. So I have to tell you right now that I can't guarantee you that going forward, I'll be able to talk about faith without doing it through a cultural prism. Because I feel like God has given me a platform at 98.9 to speak truth into very relevant cultural issues. I am approached increasingly so by parents who are deeply troubled by the way their, their children are being exposed to and programmed by um, modern <laughs> cultural influences. I'm talking about critical race theory. I'm talking about transgenderism. I'm talking about all these things. Now, look, we are all made in the image of God, and any kind of racism is absolutely 100% abhorrent and opposed by God. God loves everyone equally. He sent his son so everyone could be redeemed. There is no place in the culture of Christianity, in authentic evangelical Christianity, there is no place for any kind of racism. None. Zero zip nada. Never. But I cannot anymore promise you that I will divorce my commentary from looking at cultural issues in the faith portion of this podcast, because if faith is of any use to us, it has to be of use to us in how we view culture and engage with culture. Jesus did not want us to just um, withdraw from culture. Um, Paul said, you know, don't associate with people in the church who are in error, but I don't mean don't associate with people in society who are in error, because if you're going to divorce yourself from people in society who are in error, if you're only going to surround yourself with people who think like you do and believe like you do, well, then you'll never have any impact for the gospel of Christ in the world. The Great Commission is to go into the world, teach it to obey Jesus' teachings and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He didn't mean, if you love me, I'm watching you. He means, if you love me and you really understand what you've been forgiven of at the cross, you'll want to obey my commandments as gratitude for what I did for you. So I say all that because um, I want to get into today the um, application of the gospel to some things that are going on in our, our society that are very threatening to the way God tells us to live, wants us to live for our own good and to glorify him. Okay, transgenderism is a thing that I didn't fully understand until, I don't know, six months ago. When you said transgender male, I didn't know what that meant. A transgender girl is a boy biologically who identifies as a girl, feels like a girl, wants to be called by a girl name, wants to dress like a girl, wants to play girl sports, whatever. So when you hear transgender 
girl, transgender boy, the word transgender means they're actually the opposite of that, what they say they are. So if they say they're a transgender girl, they're really a boy. If they say they're a transgender boy, they're really a girl pretending to be a boy. What's the end game on this whole transgenderism thing? Well, I think it's to sexualize our kids and to remove God's authority from their life. The Bible says God made people male and female. Transgenderism, the radical viewers of that say, no, you can be whatever you want to be. God didn't, God made mistake in creating you with this biology. So like, how could you worship a God who's makes a huge mistake like that? As Christians, we worship a God who is sovereign. So his word rules over everything. It's the last word. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a sovereign God. We worship an infallible God. He doesn't make mistakes, or he wouldn't be God. If he made mistakes, he couldn't be God. So how do we engage on these things, right? Because I know a lot of you guys and a lot of you listeners are in companies that are sitting through critical race theory um, seminars. You're sitting through, you're being told that you have to wear rainbow stuff during Gay Pride Week, Gay Pride Month going on right now. How do you engage? All right, I think to be biblical, to be faithful. I wish I had an easy answer for you, but as I said on name, image, and likeness legislation, um, sometimes compromise is not the answer. Sometimes the truth requires you to not compromise. But it doesn't have. But you don't have to be hateful about it. You shouldn't be hateful about it. That would be wrong. So Jesus was a loving person but he loved the right things. You can't love the wrong things. Adam and Eve loved the wrong thing in the Garden of Eden. They started out loving God, loving the right things, listening to God, following God's word. Then they loved the idea that, hey, if I eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I can be like God. And that's what I see in the transgender movement and in so many of these efforts to sexualize our children, drag queen story hour with little kids in school, little kids in libraries, trying to normalize deviant um, mental illness. That's what it is. It's a mental illness. When you, it's not your body that's wrong, it's your mind that's wrong. It's the same as anorexia. You think you're fat? You're not fat. Your mind is telling you you're fat. You have a mental illness. And we need to be loving toward people like that. But we need to be immovable on the truth that your biology is given to you by God, and that is the truth. So all this stuff is going on in our schools, and it's being glorified by teachers, by national teachers unions, by the Biden administration, stuff like that. So how can you stand against it? What can I say about scriptural references, okay? So in the parable of the four soils, which is one of the great, the parable of the sower, the parable of the four soils, Jesus talks about the sower who went out and sowed the, sowed the seed. The seed was the word of God, right? That's the parallel. And some of it fell on rocky soil, lousy soil, never did sprout. Those are people who ignore the word of God. And some of it fell on thorny soil. It sprouted up and not much root there, not much room for it to root, and it went away. People didn't stay faithful. Some of it sprouted among thorns, among thistles, among things like weeds. And it sprouted in the soil, but the weeds choked it out. The weeds took over, and that's like the concerns of this life. Or 
the things you're being told in these seminars, you're white, you're bad, your transgenderism is great, that's, that's a weed. That's a non, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's something sent into your life, not of God, to take people away from the truth of God. And then there's seed that sprouts among good soil and produces a harvest, and that's great, right? Right after Jesus talks about the parable of the soils, he goes right into what I thought, always thought was kind of a curious follow-up. And he says, which one of you lights a lamp and hides it under your bed? No, when you light a lamp, you put it on a high place so that the light will shine out. This morning, as I was studying uh, the Gospel of Mark, and I was studying those two uh, bits of teaching from Jesus, it hit me that Jesus wants those of us who are producing a harvest for him not to hide our lamp under the bed. I know a lot of people who are in these seminars and in these conversations, and they kind of want to hide what they really believe. You know, I'm not going to speak up in this seminar. I'm not going to push back against this cultural tide of, you know, critical race theory, transgenderism. I'm, I'm just going to stay here. You want to hide your lamp under a bed? Jesus says, no, put your lamp out there and let it shine. So it, I have a friend who is doing this in a phenomenal way. He told a story Sunday that I just thought was so powerful. He's in a big company. And I think he's doing pretty well. He has a lot of things that he has to watch, provide for, kids in college. He can't afford to lose his job. But I am so awed by the way he's living his witness in that he is engaged in these seminars, and he's being asked specific questions about critical race theory and, you know, all this kind of, they're basically dangling the noose and waiting for him to stick his head in there and hang himself. That's how I view it. They're trying to identify who the Christians are. He could put his light under the bed. He could give the political correct answers. He's a smart guy. He knows how to avoid the jackpot. But he is instead putting his light out there for all to see. And he gave the example of, he answers the questions in the vein of the story of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, it's somebody who's walking, they see this guy who got beat up and he's in dire straits and he's along the road. And the people like him, who should help him, ignore him because it's inconvenient, right? Even a priest looks and ignores him. And who helps him? The Samaritan, the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan who is of a different race. The good Samaritan who his Samaritan culture would tell him, oh, that guy's a Jew, I'm not going to help him. My friend uses this example as, I take my cue from the story of the good Samaritan. He says, I'm a Christian, I take my cue from the story of the good Samaritan. In that, that tells me that I need to look past 
the outward differences that I have with people and minister to people, view them, value them, esteem them individually. So he answers the questions without hiding his lamp under a bed. He's letting his light shine, and he's trusting God to protect him and make him uh, wise in those situations. And so I just thought that was an outstanding example. It strengthened me. I hope it strengthens you. And I want to leave you with a couple verses from Proverbs. It's the 28th, so you know where I'm going, Proverbs 28. We have a lot of talk about justice in our society these days, right? Well, here's what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, inspired by God to write the Proverbs, says. Proverbs 28, verse 5, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. My friend understands justice because he seeks the Lord in his life. and He's been given wisdom to operate in a hostile culture. So if you want to arm yourself for these kinds of battles, I don't know how you can possibly arm yourself effectively with anything but the Word of God. Um, so Proverbs is there for you. The Gospels are there for you. Prayer is there for you. Journaling is there for you. I know you're busy. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. Busy is spelled B-U-S-Y. Busy, I have heard, is an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. When we get busy, too busy, to access the Word of God, apply the Word of God, absorb the Word of God, be led by the Spirit of God, which speaks to us through the Scriptures, when you're that busy, you're under Satan's yoke. And eventually he'll come for you, and that wake will, that yoke will weigh you down, make you ineffective. I've been there. I'm so ashamed to tell you that I went years of my life without prioritizing the Word of God in my life. Those were the years that I was miserable, lost, wandering, drifting, ineffective. There is no better place to spend a portion of your day than in the Word of God, to deeply understand what Jesus did for us at the cross, to be so moved by that that you want to express your gratitude to Christ for redeeming you of your sin and making you acceptable in God's sight, and thus having a deep enough commitment to him that, well, I know he died for me. I know he loves me. I know I trust that he will provide for me. I'm going to take my light out from under the bed, and I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine where I work. I'm going to let it shine in my conversations with the guy I play golf with or the guy I work out with who I've hidden who I really am from them. I'm going to let it shine at my local school board meetings. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be light in the darkness there, and I'm going to just stand firm like it says in Ephesians 6, and I'm not going to let them cram through curriculum that 
tells kids that they're inherently born evil because of a certain color or they're inherently oppressed because of the certain color of their skin. I'm going to take my lamp out from under the bed and I'm going to let it shine. And I'm going to trust God to do great things with it. He said, you are the light of the world. I want to be as bright a light as I can be. Because without Jesus, I would be headed for eternal damnation. With him, I have an absolute certainty of what lies ahead of me. It is a glorious future that I do not deserve. (laughs) I do not deserve. I'm privileged to be a part of the family of God. And I'm privileged to have this time to speak with you and to share with you the things that he's put on my heart to, I hope, inspire you. And I hope um, illuminate for you a godly way to think about the challenges that we face in our culture. The battle in this culture may appear unwinnable to you, and it may be unwinnable. It may be. But we're called to fight that battle while we're here. Maybe we win it. We know how the game ends because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So while we're here, he has work for us to do. And that work is to do the will of the Father. The Father's will is to believe in the Son He has sent, John 6, 29. So I hope that encourages you as you head into Memorial Day weekend. Love my dad. I always think of my dad on Memorial Day weekend. I'll be writing a story about that for PressProsMagazine.com. But I love Jesus more, and my dad loved Jesus more. I'm so thankful that my parents raised me to love the Lord. It took me a while to get there. It took me a while to understand it. it. took me a long while to prioritize it. And it's my greatest joy sharing that with you. This morning, May the 28th, 2021. God bless. Talk to you again soon.